Good morning, everyone. Um, I hope you are all doing well on this fine Sunday morning. Um, maybe you know this or not, uh, but it's actually Thursday for me preaching this sermon uh, that will reach you on Sunday. It's Thursday night and it is hot. Um, it's kind of like being back in the Sherman Street Sanctuary on a Sunday morning. So it's, you know, giving me all the feels. Anyway, let's get started. Um, I came across this quote by Dorothy Day that uh, really strikes me. She says, you know, she's talking about how people don't, often don't believe in God anymore. And then she says, it's hard to talk to people about God if they do not believe in him. So one can talk and write of love. People want to believe in that, even if they are all but convinced it's an illusion. It's not so surprising to me that she says that people don't believe in God. What struck me about the quote was her saying that people don't believe in love. They want to, but that they are all but convinced that even love is an illusion. I think she's right. About half of marriages these days end in divorce. And sometimes there are really good reasons for that, you know, like infidelity or physical or emotional violence. But often it's because one or both people have lost hope that the marriage could ever be saved or that could ever that their relationship could ever be rich and meaningful again on the other side of the pain and loneliness that they're feeling more and more people aren't willing to get married at all um and i think that's partly because they've lost sight of what love really is and partly because they just don't trust that love could be that strong it's not often that you find people who believe that compassion and kindness are more powerful than punishment and violence. You know, we see that in the way that our culture degrades and humiliates prisoners, as if treating someone as less than human would ever make them more humane. But even the suggestion of a more gentle way is often met with outrage. We don't believe in the way of love. We think mercy and grace, compassion might be good for a time, but then we need to get serious. Even just in our friendships, we see it. You know, how often do we refuse to bring up hurt feelings and talk through our conflict? Sometimes we'd rather choose to live in a strained relationship because we believe that reconciliation is impossible. Sometimes it is, but most of the time, our differences can be resolved. And sometimes we don't want to approach it because we know that the other person doesn't have the skills to engage the conflict well. And that makes sense, but it's also not the whole story. You know, I help people through um, conflict with restorative circles, which is just a structured way of having a conversation that really makes it so that you don't need the right tools by asking the right questions and using um, just this process. You can get people through it without their skills. Um, which is turns out super helpful, <laughs> um, but it turned. But my biggest frustration with circles, you know, I see how powerful they are. Um, having been in them, I see that um, that painful and difficult work can become beautiful and alive in ways that nobody in the room expected. Um, and the biggest frustration of it all is that it is so, so hard to get people in the circle in the first place. 
I watch um, at time and time again as the people in the church refuse to even try. You know, they'll leave the church over a conflict, even as they say it's no big deal, even as they say they have forgiven it, even as they refuse just to have one conversation. Is it because we don't believe in love? Is it because we don't believe that love can pull us through? Are we too all but convinced it's an illusion? As I was thinking about Dorothy Day's quote and the struggles to believe in love, I wondered about the connection between our faith in love and our faith in God. Maybe as we move away from faith in God, we also slowly move away from faith in love. And God is, after all, the source of all love. And think about this. If we actually trusted that a God of love made this whole place that every inch of it bears God's fingerprints and each one of us bears God's image. If we trusted that even now that God is with us, near us, in us. If we believe that on the cross, Jesus' sacrifice of love reconciled all things to himself and that God's love was poured out on us so that we live in just incredible grace and abounding love. If we really believe that God is love. And that we were made to be lovers. Wouldn't we just press into those things with wild abandon? If we knew we were absolutely surrounded by a love more plentiful and powerful than we can imagine, wouldn't we trust that love would find a way? If we really believe that we follow the one whose sacrifice of love was rewarded with resurrection and with salvation for the whole world, wouldn't we be more willing to make our own sacrifices in the name of love? You know, the measure of a follower of Christ is not what we do on Sunday mornings, though gathering for church is a very important practice. It's not how much we read our Bibles, though that's important too. It's how much and how thoroughly and how freely we love, especially towards those who are difficult to love. Because a life of love shows us that we trust the God of love. It shows us that we are following God's example, walking in the way of love, knowing ourselves to be dearly loved children. A life of love is the surest evidence that we trust the God who is love. Now, of course, we're on a journey of relearning this way, right? We were created by and for love, but we have fallen. We've lost ourselves. And now, by the Spirit's work in us, we are being returned to that way, nurtured in it anew. And sin corrupts our minds and our hearts so that sometimes we don't even know what love is. We don't even know the very thing that we were made for. And that's why the scripture spends so much time telling us how to behave. It's not because there's this like big list of rules and God is watching to see how many of them we break. Um, it's not that. It's because we are being educated in the way of love, which is the way of God. Because we've all but forgotten it. We think that it's an illusion. 
And part of the illusion is that we've been convinced by movies and music that love is all heroics and grand gestures, that love is dramatic, filled with soaring emotions, or we think that love should be easy or we shouldn't call it love at all. But for the most part, those are just misconceptions. True love is in small things, everyday things. It's in the tone of your voice and the gentleness of your touch. It's in just showing up. And like our passage says, you know, love is telling the truth. It's in giving instead of just taking. It's in watching your words. It's in dealing swiftly with your anger. It's in being kind and compassionate and forgiving. Those small things are um, very often the hardest things to do. Love is not over the top all the time. It is the daily plod of one foot in front of the other, a thousand small decisions. Love is consistently seeking the good of the other, consistently, even in the small moments. I think that's why it's difficult to believe that it has power. You know, our culture is just obsessed with like bigger, faster, more, tougher. And love is often hidden and slow. And it is always vulnerable. And we look at people like Mother Teresa and think that love is huge and that maybe it's beyond us. But she was not formed instantaneously. She gave herself to be shaped and transformed by love in hours upon hours of prayer and service and obedience to Jesus. People like her have learned the way of love, walked in it so long, made so many tiny decisions in the direction of love that when the big moment happens, they are ready for it. Or when you just count up the sum of all those tiny decisions, it seems huge, but it is not huge. It is small loves given consistently and it becomes a witness that declares the truth of the gospel in a voice that rings out clear and cuts through all the shouts of violence and hatred that swirl around it. And that's what we are called to do, each one of us, to testify to the truth by how we love. The small decisions you make a thousand times a day show more clearly than any of the words that you say whether or not you believe in a God of love, whether or not you believe that that God can be trusted. That, this kind of trust is really difficult in a world that often doesn't believe in God at all, often thinks love is an illusion. It's difficult in a world that's full of sin, that fails so consistently to love God and love neighbor and that trusts much more in money and violence than in love and mercy. It is difficult, but by our faith, we testify that there is indeed a different way, the way of love, the way of the kingdom of God, vulnerable, slow, small, and filled with all the power of God. And we learn this trust through practice, through obedience. So Paul says here, put away falsehood and speak truthfully. And first we go like, nice idea, Paul, but that's just not practical. And then by some movement of the spirit, maybe we think, 
I guess I should try trusting Jesus and Paul when they say this kind of stuff. And so we try it out and we begin to change. And in that change, we start to see the kingdom of God in our midst. You know, often when I talk to groups about honesty, people will bring up questions like, well, what if the truth will hurt someone's feelings? Or what if a lie will save someone's life? And those can be good questions, but usually they're just ways of avoiding honesty in our real circumstances. And usually we avoid it, not because we're protecting other people, but because we're protecting ourselves. Like if someone says, do I look good in this dress? And you say yes, even though you mean no, you have not protected the other person, right? Because they're gonna go out looking badly in the dress, which is much, it may seem, yeah, yeah, you have not protected them. You've protected yourself, right, from feeling uncomfortable. Maybe you've protected yourself from a fight, but you have not protected them. It can seem impractical to tell the truth all the time, but even if it is, that's actually not the point because look at what lies do. In the long run, someone who is routinely dishonest is alone, even when they're with other people. Lying is hiding yourself from others, and when you make a habit of hiding, then you will never fully be seen, or known, or understood. And so you will never feel fully loved. Not only that, you will assume that everyone else lies like you do, which they don't. And so you'll never trust anyone either. You will be alone, even when you're with other people. And of course, we've all experienced the different ways that lies have horrible consequences for the people who are receiving them, the hearers, right? On the flip side of that, honesty creates community. If you are an honest person, then slowly people learn that they can trust you and you become a safe haven for others. They never have to wonder if you are saying one thing to their face and another behind their back. And you begin to experience the freedom that comes with never hiding and just being seen for what you are. More and more, you can trust the love of others because you know that they see you, not some fake version of yourself. And you learn that there are other honest people just like you, people you can trust. And your life becomes a safe haven for others and for yourself. And the kingdom of God spreads around you. The more you experience it, the more you trust it, the more you come to abhor dishonesty because you can see the damage that it does. And you can see that there is another way. And sometimes people think that honesty means that you have to say the worst possible thing in the worst possible way. Um, that's not truthful, it's just mean. The honesty called for in our passage is honesty that comes from love. It is gentle and it is kind, but it is not false. That's what's going on with all the commands that Paul gives in this passage. He's calling believers to, to do what builds up community and relationships and to stay away from that which destroys it. The way of love consistently seeks the good of all. So in the way of love, you deal with your anger swiftly rather than letting it fester. It's actually connected, I think, to truth-telling because um, the most frequent lies I hear and maybe the most frequent lies I'm guilty of are like, no, it's fine. It's, it's no big deal. Um, 
And then what's left unsaid starts to rot inside you. Maybe it just, you know, forms the tiniest of wedges in your relationship, but makes it the offense that much easier next time. And so the wedge continues to grow. It can seem so silly sometimes to say something like, it hurt my feelings when you said that. But that is the way that you deal with anger. And it might just be that the other person didn't know that they had that effect on you because people have always lied to them about it. Paul says that when we fail to deal with anger, it lets the devil in. It opens a door in our own hearts and in our community. And when you fail to deal with conflicts in the church, the whole community suffers, not just you. Spiritual warfare is not just prayers and exorcisms. Sometimes it's just having a tough conversation. In the way of love, you don't steal from others, which creates distrust and fear. You organize your life in, so that you can be a giver. You work so that you can give. You don't tear people down, you build them up, watching your words carefully to make sure. You move away from anger, from malice, from slander, and toward compassion and kindness. And you forgive because you were forgiven because forgiveness is the only thing that will set you free from pain and the only possibility of change for the other. It requires profound faith to live in love, trusting that these things aren't just silly, sappy ideas, but grounded in the truth of who we are and who God is and what this world was made for. When we start out small and try it out, and over time, we see the fruit and our trust deepens and more and more we become imitators of God. And this passage isn't just about you as an individual. It's about how believers behave towards one another in community. It's about the church community. Not that we're supposed to love less outside the church, but Paul emphasizes inside the church because the church is creating a community of love, a community that can put the kingdom of God on display and the way of love requires a certain vulnerability. When you are vulnerable with people who are not grounded in love, you will likely get wounded. In a sinful world, love requires suffering, as it did for Jesus. Sometimes the way of love leads to the cross. But in the church, we are trying to create a space where we can see what it means to have a whole community traveling this way together and we can try and catch a glimpse of the kingdom of God in our midst. You know, we're not just individuals, but a whole group dedicated to reconciliation, to truth, to forgiveness. And, we, and if we all give ourselves to that, we can catch a glimpse of what God had in mind when God created this place. And COVID has made it so that we don't gather in the same way right now. Um, but we still have the opportunity to practice. Actually, our staying away from one another is one of those practices um, at this point. But we have the opportunity to practice in other ways, right? We still relate to one another through Zoom and phone calls and outdoor meetings. And if you have family, your family is like a microcosm of the church. It's a great place to practice, probably the most difficult, which means you can learn the most, right? In a family, you can wound one another like nowhere else. And you can also and you also have tremendous opportunity to be part of one another's healing. 
And Tony and I are by no means perfect, and we wound one another plenty, but we are both committed to the way of love. And so I find myself really grateful for the ways that we fight. You know, we say what needs to be said, we are honest with one another, and we help one another in our better moments, <laughs> to be honest, right? Like, is there more? What else do you need to say? We try not to tear one another down. We try our best to deal with our anger as, as quickly as we can. We try our best to give to one another. And when we need to, which is often, we apologize and forgive. And all of this can be very, very painful, but we see healing happen there. And we witness the safety and joy of love between us. It's not all the time and we are still learning, but we catch glimpses of it. The church is a community like that. Our commitment to Jesus and to his way of love makes it a place where this kind of healing can happen. And people are so often down on the church for fighting a lot, and we very often do it badly. Um, but in, it's those fights, it's in those fights where the best kind of work can happen if we will let it, if we will work for it, if we will commit ourselves to the way of love. And it's difficult work, practicing, faltering, apologizing, trying again, learning love together trying our best to imitate God with one another. And as we do, we all grow together as one body toward the full maturity of Christ. And to the extent that we do this, to the extent that we wrestle with this together and learn to trust in God's love, we will understand ourselves more and more as God's dearly loved children. We will more and more become an image of the kingdom of God, showing the world that there is indeed another way, the way of love. We will declare to the world how beautiful this way is, how powerful it can be. As we testify to the truth of love, we also testify to the truth of our God. In a thousand small decisions, in ever-increasing trust in Jesus, you will show people that God is near and that God is love and that they too are welcome to follow on this way. Please pray with me. Lord, you are um, full of mercy and compassion, abounding in love. And we find our truest selves as we learn to rest in you and trust you. I pray, Lord, that this stressful time um, would be a time that you continue to shape us and grow us in the way of love, the way of Jesus. and that we would be a part of your kingdom even now, that we would catch glimpses of it and see it spread all around us. Lord, help us to love well. In Jesus' name, amen. So normally I would uh, 
you know, raise my hands and give you a blessing now. But instead, uh, we're going to do communion this week. So I want to invite you when the video ends to come to um, click on the link for the, the, what do we call it? The virtual coffee hour um, and come to that. And we will do communion together as a church. And then Tony and I will bless you. So the service is going to kind of continue past the end of the video and on into um, the virtual coffee hour. So please come join us and celebrate with us. Amen.